Hi, and welcome to The Rock's podcast. We are currently going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We pray that these sermons encourage your faith. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue studying the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, good morning. It's time to get started. And as you find your places, let me let you know of a bit of a conundrum. I'm facing a little bit of a problem. Let me share with you what that is. I've already mentioned that Mark chapter 11 begins with Palm Sunday. So everything to come is Passion Week. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is, would be Good Friday. And then you know Resurrection Sunday morning ends with Mark 16. Now here's the problem. If I continue on our course, as we usually do, verse by verse, chapter by chapter... There's 40% of Mark left. And if I follow that, then right around Passover, which is our Good Friday, we go all through the crucifixion, and then Sunday morning, the resurrection. The following Sunday, we'll be in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we'll be ready for Judas' betrayal, and then for several weeks, we'll be in the crucifixion after Easter. That doesn't work for me. That really doesn't. I want Passover, Good Friday services. I want the joy of Easter and resurrection. And Mark 16, we will take Mark 16. But that leaves me seven Sundays only. I lost two of those Sundays in Jerusalem somewhere. All right, so we're going to Israel. So that gives me five Sundays until Easter. So here's what we're going to do. I prayed about it. I even talked to the staff about it. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take five passages from what's ahead, and we're going to verse by verse through those passages, and then we're going to end with a shout of hallelujah with Mark 16 on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday morning, and then we're going to go on to a new book, which shall remain nameless (laughs) until I realize what it is. I have a kind of a, a drawing toward one, uh, but yeah. And so that's, that's what we're going to do here. And uh, if you still love me, say amen. amen. <laughs> First service loved me a little bit more, but it's okay. I'm not comparing you to your siblings, all right? All right. No, no, that one, that's the way it's gonna go. And God always blesses us, doesn't he? that amazing? Okay, let's pray together. Now, Father, with all of that said, we are looking forward. You always have a word in season and out of season. Lord, when we're, we're just when we most need it, you speak right to the point. Every time you hit the bullseye for everybody, how do you do that, Lord? It's amazing. It's amazing. We love you. We stand in awe of you, the Holy Spirit, who's here with us, directing our thoughts and transforming our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. amen. 
at the end of the year in Japan, there's this custom. It's called osoji, and it means the big clean. All right, so Barb and I lived there for four years as missionaries, and so uh, I got to really enjoy osoji. Let me tell you about it. To ring out the old year, to ring in the new families, uh, offices, Schools, companies, just about everybody begin with this massive undertaking that takes a few days of what we would call spring cleaning, only it's in winter, the last week of December, and only it's on steroids. I'm serious. Uh, Let me uh, show you some pictures. So in the house, they sweep away, they take everything out. And they reevaluate, do we need this or not? And uh, they have something called Big Gomi Day. Big Gomi Day is, is if they didn't need it, they wrap it up nice and put it on the sidewalk. And people will come by and take what they need. And so it, it, it's kind of a, a nice thing. But they're wearing masks because they sweep and sweep. That's called tatami on the mats there. It's rice straw. And so it has a strong smell. I really like that smell. It's very, very Japanese (laughs) and uh, brings back good memories. And so, yeah, they're busy, but it doesn't stop in the home. No, it's in the school. And they put those kids to to good use. (laughs) And so everybody knows uh, that it's time for the big clean. My kids went to school that looks exactly like that. In fact, Jordan was in kindergarten and first grade. It's called Yochien. And uh, Zachary was also in Yochien. They they were the only uh, Caucasians. (laughs) They're the only blonde-headed kids in Kanazawa, really, to speak of. And uh, so it was quite interesting as they learned. And PJ was born there, but we left before uh, he was school age. And it goes outside. They clean outside. And so they have a thing about being exposed to the sun. The ladies never want to be exposed to the sun because they want skin that's soft and supple all the time. And so, amen, ladies? (laughs) All right, so they're out there. They cover up a lot. Uh, But even the outside of the benches and the parks needed to be scrubbed down. So if you have OCD uh, in December, it's a good time to visit Japan. Now, now if you talk to a Japanese person, um, they would say, yes, it's practical, of course, but we Japanese think of it as psychological, emotional, and spiritually beneficial. And on the last day of Osoji, they gather together and they have the most delicious foods and wonderful feasts and they they also do a lot of drinking. They do sake and beer and they have traditional Japanese music and entertainment and they enjoy one another in in their perfectly cleansed surroundings. I remember one time I was over the Ikeuchis and I'll never forget it was was during Osoji and she had this like old school whisk that they made by hand, you know, like a broom. And she was feverishly going back and forth on that tatami. And she was saying in Japanese, Ie no naka kara waru Back and forth. And that means sweeping away the evil out of the house, out of the house, out of the house. And so, of course, 
when I was thinking of the cleansing of the temple, the ikiuchis and our sweet fond memories from Japan came uh, back to mind. And I was studying for this passage, remembering all of that cleaning, cleaning, cleaning. Out of the house, out of the house, away with the evil, out of the house of the Lord, as we affectionately call the temple. And that's exactly what we're going to see. We've arrived, as I said, and thank you for those pictures, we've arrived at Passion Week, which starts on a Sunday, right, with a parade that comes two miles down from uh, Bethany on the top of that hill. And they, come, they, they will come down and, and two things happen. So it's really uh, a twofer today. On the way into the temple to do Osoji, the big clean, and that's exactly what Jesus will do in that temple, uh, something happens with this tree. So going into the temple, he says something to a tree. He's obviously frustrated with what go- goes on with the tree. And then they go into the temple, do their thing. And the next morning, we read, they pass by that tree and there's a lesson to be learned. And that lesson goes with what happened in the big clean. And the big clean tells us more about what happened with the tree. And so if you're thinking, what does this have to do with me? Well, let me guide your thoughts. Imagine if that tree was you and you the tree, and you the temple, the house of the Lord. We're thinking that it might be more than a tree and a building. It might actually, the story, be about us. Okay, let's look at the text. The next day, which is Monday of Passion Week. And by the way, you call it Passion Week because Jesus is passionate about getting to the cross, not dragging his heels. He wants to do this because he came to serve, to die for you and me. So it's Monday, and Jesus is hungry. (laughs) He's on his way down to the temple. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf is very important. The leaves are full, verdant green. He went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it wasn't the season for figs. Then he said to the tree... May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it, verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area, began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers, out, 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 sweeping out. (laughs) And the benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, in full control, he's he's teaching while he's doing all of this. He said, isn't it written in the Bible? My house, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you've turned it into a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard that the teachers of the Bible, the Old Testament, the word of God, the pastors and the teachers of of the church slash temple, heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Verse 19, when evening came, they went out of the city in the morning as they went along. They saw the fig tree withered from its roots. 
Peter remembered and said, uh, Rabbi, teacher, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. So with that, we are off and running with our two-for-one special this morning, two infamous incidents. Number one, it is the only place where Jesus acts harshly and expresses his behavior in an indignant way. So I wanted to tell you, if you're new to the faith or new to the church, uh, this is the only place you're ever going to see Jesus seeming very stern. We have just come through uh, all kinds of passages where he's got the babies in his arms and people who were rejected, he's receiving beggars born blind and people are saying, oh, oh, if you only knew what kind of life she lived, you would never allow her to touch you. And he's filled with compassion and love and mercy. And they drag in a, a woman caught in adultery. And he says, I don't condemn you. And so this is God in human form who's come to show us the heartbeat of God. And his heartbeat for God is his love for the world. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son. But to those who oppose him, and he, he is only harsh with one group of people. And it's always those who are religious leaders who say, look to us for the answers, but they themselves are hindrances to people, hypocrites and phonies who profess one thing and live a total different way. To them, he raises his voice and to them alone. You will never find Jesus raising his voice or an eyebrow at a sinner as messed up. In fact, he was called the friend of tax collectors collectors and prostitutes, a friend of sinners. And so don't get the wrong idea. If you're new to this thing that Jesus just walks into church and starts throwing things around, uh, these are bad guys. And you don't even know how bad these guys are. But I'm about to tell you, <laughs> okay? Because that's my job. So we've got two things going on here. Passage divides quite nicely, doesn't it? The curse of the tree and the cleansing of the temple. And then we're not going to let you get away without some concluding uh, remarks about what this has to do with me and you. All right, so let's take a look at the troubled tree. We'll isolate those verses for you. I, I deconstructed them for you, so here they are together because they're kind of split like a sandwich. The top bread, the bottom bread, the temple's in the middle, right? So we just pull the temple out, there you go. For free, you know? <laughs> okay, so moving on. So the first thing is the fake fig tree, all right? So what's going on here? Um, because definitely uh, something has upset the Lord. Let's get to the bottom of it. So the curse on the tree. First of all, we like to call it the curse because Peter says you curse the tree. But when we think of curse, it's even stronger than uh, it, it really means. He says, may nobody be tripped up by you again. Uh, yes, it is a curse, uh, but there's no obscenity. There's nothing profane in it. And so right away, it comes down a couple notches there. And so... Uh, Jesus is hungry. Let's talk about this because it's amazing when you consider who Jesus is. 
by his own lips. He said, I and the Father are one. If, you've, if you're looking at me, you've seen God, the Father. That is because Jesus was born of a human being, but he had no earthly father. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he is, as Hebrews chapter 1 calls him, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Colossians 2.9. He is the fullness of God in human form. And Jesus wasn't shy about saying, I and the Father are one, to which the Jews picked up stones to execute him for blasphemy. And Jesus said, why are you going to execute me? Which of my good deeds? And they said, we're not going to kill you for your good deed, but you, a mere man, have just said you're equal to God. So he wasn't shy about it. That man is the man who spoke and the universe leapt into existence. That's who we're dealing with when you see Jesus, just so you know. But Jesus, the God-man, the Lord of glory, is hungry. That's crazy when they say he's sleepy, he's tired, he's like, and he did all that while he poured himself into human form because the payment had to be in human currency, death for death, sins for sins. So he had to have a body. He had to have a heart. He had to have a human life to offer that has perfect, was perfect morally. And the only way you're going to get a moral human being perfectly is if he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin. The God-man is the perfect and only sacrifice that is worthy and fulfills the whole purpose. And so When it says Jesus was hungry or he was tired, it's always, yeah, it's practical, but there's always kind of a prophetic teaching that goes with it, right? And so, for example, he's tired. He's sleeping on the boat. We get it. Okay, he's tired. He's sleeping on the boat, but it's in the middle of a storm. And while the disciples are falling apart, he's, it's a lullaby to him. And the message, the sermon illustration of Jesus is tired is that Even in the midst of your worst storm, you can have peace when Christ is on board. You see? It's always preaching a sermon. He's thirsty. He's at a well in Samaria. You know, there's more going on than Jesus wants a drink of water. He wants to talk about this living water that he could give this poor, abused woman who's been through five guys, five husbands, and then shacking up with some dude now, not even married, and, and, she, and he wants to bring her life to satisfy her longings and her soul. Yeah, so Jesus was thirsty, but it led to the sermon about living water, and nothing's different here. He, Jesus is hungry, but he's hungering for more than something to put in his tummy. (laughs) He's hankering for something. He's headed to Jerusalem. He wants and desires and longs for something. He's hungry, but let's try to figure out what he's hungering for. Well, he sees a fig tree. And yeah, I'm not saying he wasn't prompted by a little hunger. He's walking two miles down Mount Olives. He had a late breakfast or early breakfast, I should say, and and he's hungry. But he's going to use the whole thing as a sermon illustration, a beautiful one at that. What's he hungry for? Well, let's do a little figology, all right? Let's... 
let's understand what's going on. He sees the, the, the fig tree in full leaf. That means full, lush, green, verdant leaves, and they're big. They're big. Now, the variety over there, especially so. Now, you know how big they are? In the Garden of Eden, which tree did they use for leaves to cover up their shameful nakedness? They didn't go to a maple. <laughs> they went to a fig. They wanted their money's worth. So we, we need leaves. And, we, and lots of them. And so they went to the fig tree. Now, what's the fig tree stand for? That's an easy one if you know the scriptures. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 8, I'm leading to a land of milk and honey, he says. Wheat and barley and vines and Fig trees and the fig trees and the fig trees. And on every other page, it's the fig trees. So much so that he says, in the day that to come, when, when the Messiah sits on his glorious throne, you Israelites will take a seat under your own fig tree in your own yards, and no one will make you afraid. Oh, in this life, they're going to shoot down your F-16s, you know, and they're going to uh, hem in and they're going to squeeze you into some little tight little ball. But don't worry, when your Messiah comes, I will expand your borders and you will sit under your fig tree. So a time-honored symbol of who the people of God were was the vine or the fig tree. So we got it. We know he's looking at Israel. He's coming to Grand Central Station He's coming to the capital of Israel, Jerusalem. He's coming to the temple on Passover. And so he's looking to his people, right? That's what he's hungry for. Now about this fig tree that's in full bloom. It had a lot of leaves, but here's the deal. Something you might not know about fig trees is that first the fig grows, then the leaves. It's impossible for a tree to have full leaves and no fruit because the fruit comes first on a fig. Let me show you the second picture. Do you see the figs? Figs first. So the problem isn't that the tree doesn't have figs. The problem is what is a tree doing with leaves advertising something it doesn't have. So the freak nature side of this thing, like what? Isn't the problem isn't the figs. The problem is the advertisement, the false advertising. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're hungry and you're passing by, step right up, step right up, get your juicy fat ripe uh, <laughs> Figs, I wanted to say, I don't know, I'm not even going to tell you. Get your figs here, get your figs here. Yeah, no, and Jesus says, I'm hungry, I see the leaves, I see the advertising, figs, figs, figs. And then I get there, and what is it, what's up with this? This is an anomaly. This is a freak of nature. This is wrong, this is sick. This is out of a monster movie. Wait, 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 this doesn't happen. So that is the problem. It's the profession of faith without substance. It's a believer without repentance 
a Christian without patience. It's a Christ follower with no holiness. It's the advertisement, look at me. I've got a big Bible, and I've got a big T-shirt, and I've got a big bumper sticker, or I'm, I talk a lot, I've got a big mouth. But I don't have big fruit. I don't have love and joy and patience and peace and brotherly kindness and gentleness and self-control. Those are called fruits. Oh, but I got the advertisement. And this is what's going on. This is what Jesus is all upset about. Israel is the tree. What's he's hungry for? <laughs> what fruit is he looking for? Well, a reception from his people would be nice. He came to his own. This is an appetite, my friends, that he's been working up for 2,000 years because Abraham's the father of the Jews. And he starts with Abraham 2,000 years. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he busts his people out of Egypt. He's working and working. And he's got 300 prophecies about, look for me here, look for me here. I'll be descending into a human womb. Watch for me here. I'll send a star. I will send all of these prophecies. You'll know where I'm born, to whom I'm born. You'll know what I'll be wearing. You'll know how my ministry will go. You'll know everything about me. And I'll entrust you Jews with the word of God with the temple worship, with the seven holidays that all talk about Christ. The shadowings, the prophets, he's been working and working up an appetite so that when the star comes and he's born in Bethlehem, like Micah chapter five and verse two said, and that he would do all of his works in, in Galilee, like Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2 says, that they would go, aha, so he's hungry. And in Daniel chapter 9, if you do the math, and some people have, from the date that King Artaxerxes, Persian king, says you can rebuild the temple, this is 400 years before Christ. Daniel says, if you do the math and count this equation, and you do, the day's number to Palm Sunday when Jesus is coming in on a donkey as the king, as Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 said he would, as the king, right? So yeah, he's a little hungry. He's been working up an appetite. He's, he's hungry for them to say, Lord Jesus, our Messiah, come and reign in our Hearts. We turn from our wicked ways. We receive you. You came to your own and your own received him not. John chapter 1 and verse 10. They shut the door. And all the while, green, leafy, flowing robes, praising the Lord, Passover crowds. There'll be Bible teaching there. They'll be preaching. They'll be baptizing. They'll be baptizing. They did it at Passover. There'll be all of this. And then the object of Israel's worship, the God of Israel in a body, in their midst, hungry for some participation. Here I am after all of that. And they want to 
kill him. So I think just a simple sentence made this charade stop going on so less people be stumbled by it. I think that's, the tree got off pretty good is what I'm saying. Because <laughs> I could imagine other things after all of that to have people not only representing him and praising the Lord, but um, wanting to kill him. It's one thing to slam the door in somebody's face. You know, that, you know, a thought. Sometimes you, you hear about a murder, a husband or a wife, right? It happens. And it's just, what, what about divorce isn't enough for you? I mean, seriously. Why not just slam the door on Jesus' face and say, you know, you're a lunatic. Well, we're going to arrest you and throw you out of the place. You have to kill him. What is it in the human heart that is so, so evil? So instead of opening their hearts as he hungered for, this is what he finds. And this is now on the inside, really, of the tree is we're going inside the heart of uh, Judaism now. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus gets into the temple area. You can think of it as the church. And people are set up shop. They're buying and selling. And I'll explain what they were selling and buying. And tables and money changers. It was all corrupt. So Jesus just had it, you know. So he uh, did the big clean. You know, he started uh, helping them <laughs> out the door and uh, releasing that area for ministry and all the while teaching. So uh, let's talk about this. So in Jesus comes to the big showy green-leaved uh, sanctuary that was advertising, hey, God's here, it's Passover, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, a lot of that pious fakery going on. And Jesus walks in and sees corruption, extortion, greed, fraud, lying, ripping God's people off, hypocrisy, religious abuse, pride, envy, immorality, conspiracy to commit murder, his. That's called deicide. Now, the thing about deicide is you can't really kill God. You can kill him in human form, but when he has a divine nature, uh, that exempts him from things like death. And so uh, all the while, this is the part that stung, all the while praising God and studying the scriptures and blessing everybody uh, with pious, empty, religious, hypocritical talk. Uh, so much so that in Matthew 23, if you want to read the real spank beat down, the Lord gives those pious leaders, those fake figs, you know, fake figs. I've never called a Pharisee a fake fig, but they are, all right? Matthew 23 says, Jesus says to them, looks at them in the long flowing robes and says, how will you snakes ever escape being condemned to hell? Well, you see what they're doing. They don't even know the Lord. All they see is, is you know, money, dollar, shekel signs in front of them. And uh, the Lord just calls them on the carpet. And so, but these bad trees are producing bad fruit and somebody is going to get sick. So, you know, it would have been better to, do, to produce nothing, like if the tree didn't produce anything, but instead it's producing poison fruit and people are going to get sick. So buying and selling, what are they doing? Well, they are, let me show you a picture. 
the court, the, the uh, temple model. You'll see this in Jerusalem. Perhaps there's a lot of these around there. And so you'd come in this way. And this is the court of the Gentiles. Now, the court of the Gentiles was reserved for all nations. Do you see what Jesus is going to say? He's going to say the house of the Lord is, is, is prayer, a place to worship for, for Gentiles, for all nations. Hello. Well, they took the all nations. There's only one spot in the temple for all nations. And they took that and turned it into a 4-H kind of farmer's market. Okay? And they had all the animals that could be offered as sacrifice there to buy. <laughs> so here's, here's the deal. So instead of the sweet smell of incense and prayer, which represented the prayers of God, it was the foul odor of manure that hit the nostrils of the Son of God when he walked in. And it was one thing if it, if it would have been necessary to have the animals there. It wasn't necessary. And they didn't belong in the court reserved for needy people, for hurting people, for the blind. The blind would go there for prayers and the lame. And so they set up their shop there and here's what they would do. In Acts chapter two and verse five, for the holiday of Pentecost, which was less popular than Passover, Acts chapter two, verse five says, there were Jews that were visiting from every nation under heaven. Acts 2.5. So all these Jews are coming in and the priests are thinking, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Two to three million people visited. So here's what they did. Oh, you can People didn't bring their animals with them necessarily. So we don't worry. We have them for sale. We, we kicked some people out of the temple area where they belong, Gentiles, you know. <laughs> Who needs Gentiles anyway, right? Sorry. <laughs> but that was their attitude. And so uh, they put the animals there to sell four times the price. Of, of, sort of like they do at airports when you want to buy food. <laughs> because there's no free market at the airport. This is an airport. What, what are you going to do about it, right? So I'm in Starbucks at SFO. It's like, what? Are you kidding me? That's like four times. It's like, what are you going to do about it? You're going to get back on a bus and go outside the airport. <laughs> and this was like Winnemucca. Where are you going to buy gas? <laughs> you know, yes, it's $7 a, gar a, a gallon. Why? Because it's Winnemucca. <laughs> what are you going to do? Well, I need a lamb. It's four days' pay instead of one day's pay. What are you going to charge that for? Because it's the temple, and you're stuck. And praise the Lord. And let me tell you about God's love and mercy, and God bless you. And Jehovah Jireh, your provider, while you rip the worshiper off. You're starting to feel a little bit what Jesus might have felt when he walked in the place. But wait, there's more. There were smart people who said, you know what? I got my own cup of coffee. You're going to say, oh, no, you're not allowed to drink that coffee. You can only drink it if it came from us. In other words, if you brought your own, slept your own animal in, I said, no, thanks. <laughs> we got our own lamb here. Oh, let's check him out to see if he passes inspection. 
because in Exodus 12, it had to have a checklist. No kind of sores or no, you know, people wanted to bring them. Well, I don't need this one guy anyway, so I'm going to bring him to the, yeah, none of that, God said. So they take out the clipboard and they start checking away. Oy vey, I didn't, you didn't notice. Look closely in the eyeballs, okay? You'll see a little cloud, you know? And let's prove it to you. This is, I'm making this part up. <laughs> let's prove it to you. This sheep is blind. Watch, we'll give it a, a seeing eye test, all right? So we'll cover one of the sheep's eyes. All right, so look up here, sheep. Look up here. Start with the letter A. Do you see the A? And it, go, and it goes, bah. No, 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 no. The A. Okay, what comes after B? Then C. And it goes, bah. Okay, C. He can't see, you know? I tried that first service, and, I, and then I said, I don't think I should do it. And I, I disobeyed my own prompt. <laughs> Feel the hips on this one. This is called hip dysplasia. We cannot have this. Okay, let me show you our pre-approved pre -approved kosher lamb. Feel the hips here. You see, sir? You see, praise the Lord. He's providing for you. He loves you, sir. He loves you. And for you today, we're going to only say, uh, hype it up three times as much for you. Okay? Because praise the Lord, he's kind to us. That's what they were doing. Now the money changers. <laughs> They'd come with their offerings. Everybody, every male had to bring five bucks. It was just your offering. It was a half shekel, right? Well, it, it translated into Roman money. They had Roman money. But the Jews said, oh, we're not going to take any Roman money. We look at the picture on it. The picture is Caesar. Caesar's a Gentile. Caesar's mean to us. We don't want his money. So uh, fortunately, at every gate, the money changers' benches. We're there to serve you. And so we're going to take your nasty pagan coins from all over the world, icky coins, and we're going to change them into the holy currency of the temple treasury. And so for a small fee of 10 times what you wanted, they were ripping them off. And so Jesus went to the money changers' tables and said, I'd like to do some changing. <laughs> I'd like to change your hearts right now. And let's start with the money. You know. And he started to drive everybody out. He said, let me help you with the merchandise. And it went out the door. And that's what he's doing. That's why he went ballistic. He drove the merchants out. He overturned the tables. And here's the deal that you probably missed. In John chapter 2, he did it in the beginning of his ministry. There are two big claims, my friends. One at the beginning of the three and a half years and one at the end, which just goes to show you the weakness and the futility of self-reformation. You cannot do a thing if your heart's not in it. All they were were like, wow, this guy's real, real fanatic, but the people seem to love him, so let's, let's let him get away with this, and we, we, we won't be as bad. But their hearts didn't change, and it went straight back to the problem. Like the proverb says, a sow that has been washed of its mud soon will return to wallow in the mud because a sow 
is a sow. And the difference between a sow and a regenerated person is that the Holy Spirit comes into once pig-like behavior, sorry, and changes the character of that animal to where it now smells the mire and the muck and doesn't want to wallow in it anymore. That's a heart change. That's real repentance. But it didn't happen to the fake fig tree. Oh, they want you to think it did because they got the advertisement and the leaves. Look at me. Look at me. I got the leaves. I got the leaves. Oh, but you don't know what goes on when no one's looking when he's in a hotel by himself. Oh, you don't know that, but God knows it. Oh, the leaves are here. We've all got, we fluffed out of, there, there they are, right there. We fluffed them all out for Sunday. We fluff them out here, the big leaves. And then Christ just says, I just want to inspect. I'm looking for stuff. I'm looking for stuff. How good are you with, the, you know, uh, your relationships and forgiveness and grace and mercy and holiness and, and keeping a tight rein on your tongue and not chewing up people. <laughs> We see the leaves, but how about a life change? And so it's happened before, but nothing ever changes. And if, I promise you, if nothing's ever changing, you didn't meet the Lord. I promise you. Now, it may be two steps forward, three steps back, two steps forward. Yeah, yeah. We're all limping. I'm broken. I still fall for the same stupid things in my head, the wrong attitudes. I'm insensitive. I got all of that. Still, it doesn't mean I'm not saved. It means I'm dull. I'm a little slow. <laughs> But there's a difference, my friend, between a besetting, heinous lifestyle sin that doesn't go away because you don't want it to go away, and there's a reason for that. So he, he goes on here. Why didn't anybody arrest him, I wonder? <laughs> well, number one, it said they couldn't do anything about him because the people loved him. So the guy who just was gouged out of four days worth of uh, work, right, and is feeling the sting, sees Jesus take up his cause, and they're like, yes, finally, an outsider, a guy who's going to come in and a Messiah that could fix this. They loved him, and in the Greek, the amazed at his teaching, hung on every word. They loved him, and they said, oh, well, we can't kill the guy, they'll kill us, right? Number two. Can you only imagine the vibe that was coming off of Jesus? He is in every way God Almighty in human form. Can you only imagine the electric anointing sometimes when God was like upset and trying to make a statement? He was sending a vibe like, I'm upset, don't come near me now. <laughs> and when God sends a vibe like that, let me prove to you. John chapter 7, the Pharisees are like, arrest him, bring him in. We're done with this guy. So they send out the burly Middle Eastern big boys, the guards. They were the U.S. They were the U.S. They were the Jerusalem Supreme Court of Israel. They had guards. And those guards went to get Jesus. They come back like this. They walk in. They, they come back like this. And they say, you're empty-handed. We told you, John chapter 7, 
We told you to go out and bring that guy, that nut job, back in here. And they said, have you ever heard him? <laughs> I'm quoting. Have you ever heard the guy teach? Because he talks like nobody you've ever heard. Well, that's because he's God in a body. And when he starts speaking, there's a vibe, if I can call it that. There's an anointing. There's a presence. And so, of course, they, they stayed away from him. Right? And then thirdly, he says, my house. So he's going to quote Isaiah 56, 7 and said, my house. He doesn't say, it's written that God said that his house. Oh, no. He's going to do the claim again. He's going to say, you're messing with my house. I'm upset about it because I am the Lord. And I don't like what's going on in my house. And then he says, and then he quotes from another place where he says, but it should be called a house of prayer. Jeremiah chapter 7 uh, a house for all the nations, I should have said. Jeremiah 7, 11. But you've made it into, the, uh, the word means a cave. You've made it for a cave, like a cave for a hideout for bad guys. That's what it means. So instead of a, a, a church where there's goodness, you've turned the church into like a crack house, like, like a place where you would drive by and go, ooh, terrible things happen in there for evil people hiding out turning the ministry into a racketeering operation in, in God's name. If there's a low rung in hell, and there seems to be, by the way, there's some hinting, lesser degrees of punishment. But if there's a basement floor ripping people off and leading them in God's name, not to God, but further away, I, in my humble opinion, that may qualify for the lowest. And so news travel fast. The chief priests and the teachers of the Bible, they catch wind of this. And here's the deal. Luke chapter 19, it says that after the stalls were cleaned out, the lame and the blind came in and Jesus healed them. Crippled people who couldn't walk, blind people who couldn't see. They're seeing and leaping and heard Jesus and they see all this. So what do they do? I would have loved to read. And then the teachers of the law said, Lord, forgive us for we have sinned and bowed down before him. But instead, what does it say? No, they conspired to kill him. One writer said, may the good Lord help those who correct an evil person, call them on the carpet for what they're doing wrong, and they don't want to be corrected. May the good Lord be with you. And that's what happens. People who don't want to hear it, who feel exposed, who feel judged, and, and poor pastors, pray for pastors, because that's our job, is every day, is to bring out the truth and throw it out there and, and to make corrections. And, 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 and sometimes, most of the time, Christians love it because a wise person loves to be corrected, the Proverbs say. Oh, ho, ho. but if you step on the wrong toes, you're going to get kicked in the shins. <laughs> and so that's what's happening to him. And that's basically what I'm talking about is the, the shin-kicking begins with Jesus. And he said, if they kicked me in my shins, they're going to kick you in yours. 
So I'm paraphrasing what he actually said. If they hated me and didn't like what I'm saying, how much more are they going to do that to you? And so that's what's happening. Now, let's close here with what he said to the tree and what he says to you and me. All right, so I believe we have to go back. Yeah, there we go. Now, notice he didn't say to the tree, I'm going to cut you up and I'm going to put you through a machine and chip you out and all of that. No, he doesn't do that, does he? Look at how gentle he says. I don't want this to happen to anybody else. Therefore, I'm going to put a stop to this. I don't care for other people who might think that God is behind any of this chicanery. So that's what he does. And he prophesies later in the week, not a stone in this building will be left. And you who are going to Israel will see a pile of stones that they've left there that that were destroyed just 40 years after Jesus predicted The end of Judaism was the withered tree. He's saying, listen, I'm here now. Judaism, you did your job. Here I am. I'll take it from here, and I'm going to pass the torch to some new hands. It's called the church. Temporarily. While you're withered and on timeout, I'm going to put Israel on a timeout, which they're still on. But when Jesus is done, with the work he's doing through us and the torch he sent us to reach the whole world, then when he's done, and it says in Romans chapter 11, when the last soul gets on board, the last non-Jew, Gentile, when that person comes to know Christ and the Lord says, okay, I'm done with this part, he takes the church to be to the place that he's prepared for us, and now he goes to the withered tree. And he breathes on that tree. And seven years later, that tree goes. And up comes Israel. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. The nation of Israel will be saved. He's not done with Israel. They are put on timeout. And through holocausts. And through world wars. And through all this suffering. But. In the future, the suffering, the likes, they and the world, quoting Jesus, Matthew 24, have never or shall ever see again. It's called the Great Tribulation. The church is done with our job, out of the way, out of harm's way, and now it's time for what is called Israel's trouble. The Great Tribulation is called Jacob. Now the word for Jacob is Israel. Israel's trouble. And so people are saying, it looks like Israel's trouble is starting again. And so that might be a sign the last person to get saved is close. So if you're here today (laughs) and you want to be that last person, that would be super awesome. (laughs) Because you would put us all on a a one-way flight. (laughs) Uh, And uh, yeah, sorry about the Israel trip if that does happen. You will end up in Israel sooner or later. Yeah, so to the tree. All right, to to us now. What does he say to us? To the tree. He wants good fruit. He says, if if you got the green leaves, please, let the fruit be there. Let it be 
helpful to fruit. Fruit is a refreshment for others. I want you to be in line with me. I want you to have holiness and uh, forgiveness. You be a Christian running around with rotten fruit that's saying, I hate her. She thinks she's, oh, yeah, what? What kind of fruit is that? And Christians cuss. What is up with that? Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. That's Ephesians. Where is it? Chapter 4. Ephesians 4. Oh, sorry. Well, I mean, yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> Ephesians 4. And 17? 20, what? <laughs> 29. 29. <laughs> you want to come up here and try this? <laughs> you are doing a good job. All right. He's like, please continue on now. <laughs> yeah, he wants this. You know what that is. And if you think I'm telling you, go to produce fruit, produce fruit, produce fruit. No. Do the things that allows you closer access to Christ, the sap. Undo the little knots you've tied in your umbilical cord because you can't do that. But you can get out of the way and untangle the stuff and the bad attitudes and all of that. So if you're harboring bitterness and resentment and slander and you've talked smack about people who love you and you're doing all this stuff, you don't have this on the vine. You've got a bunch of leaves, a bunch of little knobby things, a little green. Yeah, have you ever tried to eat one of those? Yikes. Don't do that. So, so slice the fruit up for me. That's what he wants. Sorry to make you hungry. <laughs> That's what he wants. He wants sweet and soft and tender and merciful and holy. And guys who go to hotel rooms and leave the television off because they know it's the problem. And they open their Bibles instead of filling their minds with defilement. That's not this. I could show you a picture. I don't have one. I could show you a picture of what that is. It's more what's left in the stalls after they clean the animals out. That's not what Christ is hungering for. Trust me. And then one last picture. What would he say to the temple? 1 Corinthians 6 says, you're the temple. What kind of thing when he comes into your house? Just help him carry some of the merchandise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No pastor should ever say, you should stop this and don't do that. And yeah, yeah, no. You know what? Those are obvious. The Holy Spirit points things out that I could never even know was going on. And what's marginal for one person is okay for another and all of that. But the Holy Spirit has talked to you about stuff and said this, this. And every time you, you're involved in that, it goes, and you know. He says, I'm in the house. I'm in the temple. You're mine. Come on. You got to get on the same page. If I live in that heart of yours, I'm in your mind. But I start taking charge. All I'm saying is cooperate with him. When he, when he marks something for, uh, this needs to go here. 
This needs to go. This needs to start. This needs to start. The beauty of the thing is, is that he comes on board and he says, you know what? You're a work in progress. I'm not mad at you. I'm not condemning you. You're at your spiritual maturity where you is. Where you is. <laughs> where you is. I know how that happened because I was going to say what it is, it is, you know, right? So where you is, you is. And God's so patient. He says, we all got stuff. That's what I'm trying to say. It doesn't stop him from loving you. That's what I want to say. So he says two things to us today. He says, there are things that need to grow and things that need to go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for being patient and accepting us. And and Lord, none of this matters for heaven. For heaven, it's free and has nothing to do with what we grow or don't grow or what goes or doesn't go as long as we trust in you. And then the processes start. Free gift of eternal life for all those who simply call on the name of the Lord. Thank you that your love and your grace are unconditional in that regard. And help us as we grow, God, to know the things that need to go and you help us, Lord, with that. The places we need to grow, we want to to bear good fruit. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.